Hello, everybody, and welcome back to a new episode of the Chaos and Shadow podcast. My name is Kyle, and I'm joined here by my co-host, Pagan. How are you today? I am doing wonderful. How are you doing? I am doing well. Thank you for asking. We are recording this on January 3rd, so you guys are getting this right before it releases. We are doing our fifth, and for the time being, final episode on Skinwalker Ranch. This has been an absolutely amazing series, and the fact that we got five full episodes out of this is wild. I will tell mm-hmm. people that are super jazzed about this, that are absolutely loving it, we are not done. We are looking at an episode next week on infrasound. It will be away from the ranch, but it is a concept that could be affecting things there. We also looked at the idea of doing an episode on cattle mutilations. We even teased doing that. Though we found a ton of notes and we could definitely put it out there, I recognize that animal abuse is not for everyone. It's a morbid subject. It definitely plays something into the ranch there. But honestly, Pagan, I'm not a cattle mutilation guy. Like, I hunt, I'm interested in UFOs, but that is probably Mm -hmm. the one area. I really tune out. Don't know. Yeah. I, when it comes to cattle mutilations, it's very interesting. Like, it's an interesting topic. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But it, ultimately, it was one of those things of I could take it or leave it. Like, I don't need that to make a UFO case for me. I, it's an interesting aspect to it. Like we said, we could easily do this. But ultimately, it's a very morbid kind of gross topic. It, there's a lot of um, ickiness that comes with cattle mutilations because it is mutilation. It, it's terrible and these animals do die from this and so ultimately we just really kind of sat down and decided that maybe the cattle mutilation should just you know be one of those kind of topics we can talk about in passing but not really do a full episode on indeed and the other thing that really stands out to me with the cattle mutilations of skinwalker ranch they don't take the investigation in any different direction that i can really see And what I mean by that is, for those that are interested, we've highly recommended the Utah UFO display over the Hunt for the Skinwalker book. This episode is going to be a really big corrections episode of what uh, Hunt for the Skinwalker got right, what it got wrong, and what we can't substantiate either way. And I will warn, Mm -hmm. again, listeners out there, that book, Hunt for the Skinwalker by Knapp and Keller, does appear to be almost completely a book of fiction. So I'm very sorry to say, I know yes. we have a lot of great figures out there that that hold that up as their Bible, but in looking into it uh, and seeing accounts from the witnesses that actually lived on the ranch, hearing from family members that associated with them closely, a lot of the leaps that book makes, The Hunt for the Skinwalker, they're embellished. They never interviewed the witnesses, so they didn't know about if for anyone reading along or listening along with that book, all of the emotions attributed to the characters are fake. They didn't interview those people. So when they say that Tom Gorman was so angry or that, you know, that, that Gwen Sherman, uh, Tom Gorman's wife and without pseudonyms and names and all that, uh, they have a lot of emotions attributed that couldn't be verified and so we're just mm-hmm. unfortunately completely fictitious that book yes. is the one that cues up a lot of the cattle mutilation stuff as well um hunt for the skinwalker makes that into a very big ordeal and as we go through here i think we should probably start at the very beginning of of the time period back as we said the myers owned the ranch and um, this is a great place to start because Hunt for Skinwalker makes huge assumptions about that time period. Again, without speaking to 
anyone involved. Yes, it's the hunt for the Skinwalker book, I think, did more damage to this case than it did benefit this case to begin with. And we're going to try to cover as many of those corrections as we possibly can that we found during our research. But ultimately, we always encourage our listeners to go and look up the stuff yourself as well. See what Mm -hmm. else you can find. We may not have found everything, but we did find quite a bit. It's all to say that this podcast is about uncovering the truth journalistically as best we can. We are people Mm -hmm. that dig for the details. We are not a shocking, scary podcast. In fact, we market this show as not scary. Um, We look at ourselves in more of an academic sense. We tell people this is this is a paranormal show you can listen to before bed without being creeped out. Yes, so absolutely. S- starting with the, the Myers time period, <laughs> this this breaks down right away, Pagan. So uh, Kenneth Meyer is the, the man that owns the ranch with his, his wife at the time, Edith. They have a uh, Kenny has a brother named Garth. Garth is the one that gets interviewed a ton in the Utah UFO display because Garth was the only surviving member at the time that interviews could be done about this. So mm-hmm. according to pretty much everything that goes on there, one right off the bat, I think we mentioned before, they talk about the ranch in Hunt for the Skinwalker being vacant for, I believe it's seven years or so. Turns out yes. only two because at that time, Edith had actually been living there. The ranch had its property being like kind of leased slash rented out to other cattle ranchers in the area. This is all to say the premise of Hunt for the Skinwalker book when they say that the Shermans rolled up to the ranch. It was in this terrible state of disrepair. It hadn't been occupied in seven years. The, the Myers lived there with these huge guard dogs. But wait, that didn't happen. None of that happened. <laughs> People were using the ranch. Uh, Edith was living there by herself with a three-legged dog. Not much of a guard dog, if you ask. Not not terribly snarling guard dogs protecting the ranch from cryptids. It sounds like it was she a dog. She just had that, her farm dog. Yeah. That's all. Her dog that just did stuff with her and went everywhere with her. And, you know, that good old three-legged dog. That's all he was. Or she was. I don't know if the dog was male or female. Uh, but, yeah. No, she, she didn't have a scary, you know, pen full of anger guard dogs that we eat anybody that came close very very true it, it and these again are, are interviews with garth that we're referencing here so for anyone following along physically um the stuff we're looking at here starts on uh, page uh, 218 of the utah ufo display and here's one thing i'll read out it says for two years the ranch was vacant but always leased out to other ranchers to farm and run cattle that was happening the leasing part even before Kenneth died in 1987. So the leasing was happening for quite some time. Going on, Edith died in 1994, and at that case, uh, the ranch reverted to Garth Myers. So basically what we have here is Kenneth dies. The land was already starting to be leased out before Kenneth Meyer dies. Then Edith Meyer's <laughs> occupying the ranch until her death in 1994. That's when it reverts to Kenneth's brother, Garth. Yes. So less than three months after the ranch changes hands to Garth Myers, that's when he begins negotiating the sale to the witness family. That means that the ranch actually moved to the Sherman family, a.k.a. the Gormans, really quickly upon it being, quote, unoccupied, which, again, mm-hmm. I'm seeing huge discrepancies there, Peggy. That that sets the whole 
premise of the, the book off base. Also with the introduction of Hunt for Skinwalker, they start talking about how the cabinets and such had all these crazy locks on them and such. Garth right. goes on to say, yeah. didn't remember any sort of crazy locks on doors or anything like that. They talk about double locked front doors. And he's like, uh, no, maybe the cabinets had a little latch so they didn't, you know, open up due to like, sl- like kind of semi-normal means, but not the degree that Hunt for Skinwalker paints of serious intruders. Right. Yeah. So those kind of things where you have this eerie, scary kind of setup that this book has set up for everyone where this ranch, they had to vacate it. They left it and it's set empty Mm -hmm. and all these locks and all these things and all these terrifying imagery that you would associate from this book never really happened. And it really paints this image of this place not being as scary as it once was thought to be. That's not saying that there's not stuff that doesn't happen there. But the big scary setup that the Hunt for the Skinwalker really delivered, nope, it was fiction. It's true. I am walking away from this, um, probably deflating a lot of people's balloons out there that are very much in love with it. As uh, Frank Salisbury in the Utah UFO display credits, he says it is a wonderful page turner but that's because they took so much license in doing the emotions and the things that they never bothered to actually check into the witnesses they kind of just free free penned it in their own time and that is according to uh the people that actually live there so tom sherman is the one relaying this to frank saying hey i was never even interviewed they never talked to us mm-hmm. i worked on the ranch while nids uh, while bigelow owned it and they never bothered interviewing me about this he says that he didn't even know the book was coming out Yes, for quite some time after. It's really just one of those things of what was so bad that they couldn't even tell the person that they were quote unquote writing about that this book was coming out. As an author myself, if I was going to write a book about someone else's life, my goodness, I would love to have their input. I would love to have their take on the book and see if I got the story right. But I guess from somebody who looks at the paranormal from almost an academic perspective and these kind of cases from that academic and educational perspective and trying to find the truth in it, it really kind of hits a nerve for me as to why they didn't reach out to the family, why they didn't get this information correct. Why was it fabricated? And ultimately, I think the truth is it was for money. I think so, too, because when you do start to take a little bit of a, a an Occam's razory sort of approach to this and you start s- trimming things down, you go, OK, well, why wouldn't they want to talk to the original family? And money to mm-hmm. me is the answer that they were looking to put out a bestseller, that they were looking maybe to create and control their own narrative, meaning, you know, they fabricate the past to make their own future sort of deal. And in that way, that's what happened. The book, The Hunt for the Skinwalker, has turned into, again, the Bible of Skinwalker Ranch. It is referenced adamantly. But if you take, if we're taking these very quick looks at it and saying the people weren't actually interviewed, the evidence isn't real, the, 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 the claims are not substantiated, that does mean we're left with what is arguably a work of fiction. Now, for what it's worth, Frank Salisbury in the Utah UFO display says that there is credit where credit's due when it comes to the actual NIDS investigation. I'm holding my breath on that one, actually. Colm Keller, mm-hmm. I don't know personally in any way, shape, or form, and I, I don't mean to be a guy flinging a lot of disrespect out there because that's not my place to be. I do want to cast doubt on his method, though, because it just seems 
askew. We are talking a PhD holding academic who honestly has a degree that is not related to Skinwalker at all. It's microbiology. So it's very tangential at best that he was involved. That's not to say he can't have his own hobbies. I just come back full circle and go, wait, why? Why did any of this happen? You are an academic, so you're academically trained, but you snubbed your nose the academic approach, which would have been gathering real firsthand accounts. And maybe there's the problem, Pagan. Maybe we needed a historian doing the job of a scientist. They had a scientist doing the job of a historian. Or even an archaeologist and anybody that in those kind of fields, um, you know, an archaeologist, a sociologist, a any of the other ologists out there besides, you know, the hard sciences, you know, and I'm not saying archaeology and all that's not a hard science. I am just saying that, you know, biology, chemistry, they have a place. But when it comes to what we would call skinwalkers, fringe science, which is essentially what it is, it's very hard to test those kind of methods. And if you're kind of trying to go and find something that is set in stone, which is pretty much what biology is, it's very difficult to, you know, test for something that you don't know what it is, or it's something that you can't get an actual test on, then you really kind of have to go, okay, what am I doing here if I'm a biologist or a microbiologist? And I don't know, because a lot of the information out of the NIDS investigations are classified mm-hmm. or they're... Um, confidential and we're not allowed to see that i can't actually tell you anything about what the microbiologist or any of the other um you know chemists or any other the people that worked at skinwalker i can't tell you what they did because i don't know i haven't seen the the data that they accumulated because it's not previewed to the public so in that regard there's a lot of things that we really do have to kind of question until we see the hard facts. And right now, there's not very many hard facts to back up those investigations. Going back to the idea of hard science for a second, I have to give them an F. I think every science teacher out there would have to give them an F, right? They, they failed the scientific <laughs> method, which is that you put forward a hypothesis and you keep trying to prove it wrong. So yes. if your hypothesis is, okay, the Myers were terrified on the ranch. They had... Uh, all these locked doors and stuff. Well, I can tell you the way to go about testing for something like that would be to talk to people that visited the ranch during that time. He failed to Mm -hmm. do that. I think most elementary school, middle school, high school, biology, whenever that starts, middle school, high school, they'd flunk them. That's that's a fail. Like, Colm Keller would be chucked out of, you know, he would fail the test. You can't just phone it in and make up fake evidence and hand it in and be like, this is real. Um, at least not to a good teacher that's going to grade you fairly. Maybe if you're a special uh, getting a pass, which kind of is what it sounds like here. It sounds like we have a guy who is getting a pass. Like, he, again, back to the idea, what are the motivations? If it's not to tell mm-hmm. the truth, then it seems like kind of brown nosing sort of stuff's going on. Like, let me make this pretty book not based on truth so I can present it maybe to Bigelow, which I don't know. I, this is something I admit not knowing if Bigelow, I'm guessing, funded the publication sort of stuff for that. He was, to my knowledge, paying Colm Keller at the time he was on the ranch for mm-hmm. this. He was providing jets and such like that. So I question where that book was going. If it wasn't to the truth, it must have been to the money. And to also kind of talk about failing again at the science aspect, um, the head of MUFON was actually doing some of the UFO research for Skinwalker. Mm -hmm. However, the head of MUFON was never actually allowed onto the ranch by Keller. (laughs) 
And the head of MUFON was being paid by Bigelow. So there's some communication issues that are happening. Because how is somebody supposed to do the research if you can't even go to the place where it's happening? And, you know, we're one of those things, those types of people that we are trying to give you the most fact that we possibly can. However, again, there's we are very limited in our own research because we can't go to the ranch either. Right. Very- we have to find as much truth as we can through public sources. Very much a hands-tied investigation. So that uh, it's a great point. I'm glad you call that out. It's something that mm-hmm. needs to be noted for all people out there. This this little wrap-up episode, I hope this also serves as the base of some other people's research into the case. So what Pagan and I have done, again, taking a journalistic lens to this, is tracked back as many of the interesting stories we can to some sort of corroboration. We are, again, yes. dealing with a piece of property that is within a reservation, So because it's Native American reservation land, it does not fall under all the same rules and jurisdictions. That means they have some of their own. It means the ranch is even trickier to explore, let alone it having classifications and um, confidentiality things, NDAs, all related to Bigelow's style uh, ownership in the past when Bigelow Airspace was getting money from the U.S. government. Going on to say, when you're diving into this, really, really, really look hard at your sources And Mm -hmm. make sure to look at your sources' sources. A lot of them out there use Hunt for the Skinwalker. But like we just said, if that book is completely or even seven, it's my honest gut says this is somewhere around like 70% unfounded. If it is even that much, even if it's 50%, good Lord, if it's 50% fluff that they made up, then that means that everyone that uses that book going forward, that's all fluff. It's compound fluff which is real bad. We've talked about this before, too, with the Bennington Triangle a few months back, where mm-hmm. we were trying to trace down a man that randomly disappeared off of a bus, quote, in front of people's eyes. But we couldn't find any evidence to truly back that. We could barely find evidence. We did, but we could barely find evidence the man existed, let alone yeah. any of the claims of him, quote, disappearing off of a bus mid-travel and his stuff was left behind. This also really rings a lot of bells to the Conjuring case that we looked at as well, which was very fabricated as well. So in any paranormal investigation, check your sources, check your sources' sources, and then check the actual facts of the case before you ever really start to regurgitate any of the information. And I say regurgitate because a lot of the times when it comes to paranormal investigations... Whoever found the initial evidence, it's their word against everyone else's. And so they're the ones that everyone listens to. Mm -hmm. It's not to say that their stuff isn't valid, but you should always check and continue to check just to make sure that the story actually was what it said it was. And as we found from the Conjuring case, the person who moved in after that family, the main family, um, ultimately said that there was no paranormal activity and they lived there for 12 years and ultimately the movie destroyed their lives. So it's always really a good thing to find out the truth before you really say, yes, this is a really haunted location. It's always better to debunk a case than to feed into the fluff and end up manifesting something that may not be able to be controlled or be safe for people to go there. Indeed. I also want to go back and call out, I've got the section right here where Pagan had talked about MUFON going there. So this is an interesting Mm -hmm. piece. Uh, reading from the Utah UFO display, Frank Salisbury says, In September of 2009, I wanted to visit the ranch, but I was told by Colm Keller, 
who was again working for Mr. Bigelow, that it was uh, in an unfortunate time. He wouldn't even tell me where the ranch was located so I could drive by. As noted, I was accomplished, or I'm sorry, pardon me. I was accompanied on my visit to the basin by James Corian, director of MUFON. MUFON had a contract with Bigelow to investigate any good UFO sightings, with Bigelow paying the expenses. Hence, we thought that Keller would allow Karen to visit the ranch, but not so. Quote, we want to keep a low profile, end quote, was the answer we received. After my phone conversation with Keller, I met Garth Myers, who told me the location of the ranch. (laughs) Uh, So, like you just said, we've got Bigelow money changing hands between two players. I am curious. There, there could be reasons of not wanting to, you know, upset the investigation. X, Y, and Z going on. There could be cases where uh, Colm Keller didn't know, you know, the, the, the X, Y, and Z why they wouldn't be allowed on there. It does, though, paint me a picture that Keller may have been intentionally maliciously manipulating this story for either personal glory or some sort of accolade. Again, I say it just because of the willingful uh, dismissal of like all things academic and scientific, you know, those, those tried and true principles of proving your stuff. And then with the, uh, in this case, I, I, again, I can't speak to the motivations right here, but I can say this as an outsider looks to me like information gatekeeping. Ooh, we don't want to head, head a move on, even though he's on the payroll that I am. We get paid out of the same bank account. I don't want him coming on the ranch because he might blow my cover. He might, he might poke some holes yeah. in this. He might say, "Hey, hey, hey, what is this?" That's what I get now. Okay, and next on our list of corrections, Garth claims that none of the UFO activity attributed to him, at, or attributed to the ranch, I should say, actually happened when the Myers were living there. So that's a very, very big thing set up in the book that this activity had been going on for years and years and years, uh, much before the arrival of Nids and the Shermans. However, not substantiated. There is some back and forth in the Utah UFO display about how it may not have been relayed to Garth as the the brother that Kenneth and Edith may have wanted to keep it all a secret, but it's weird. It, it is in a community that was religiously restrictive and such like that. However, trying to imagine the, that these two were keeping such a big secret for all this time, compounded with all the things about the locks and the guard dogs, just paints, again, more of an unsubstantiated picture because Garth says, quote, up to 1992, there had never been activity or any signs of similar UFO activity on the ranch. That's pretty big uh, debunking from his part. That is pretty big debunking. And that also would speculate that Garth didn't visit. You know, I I can attest from visiting several family members who kind of would notice if there were locks on the cabinet doors and several locks on the front door and the back door. And if you had really big guard dogs, like you would notice these things. It's, you know, that would be very hard for you to really hide from somebody because if, you know, there were locks in the cabinets and you're like, okay, you know, family's coming to visit. We got to take all the locks off. There's going to be holes in your cabinets. So it, it would look weird and people wouldn't, and do that without being, you know, completely nuts. That would be insane to actually just take all the locks off and try to hide that from your family. So I, I would say that Garth would probably know from just being around there. 
Did you know Chaos and Shadow has moved to Facebook? That's right. We've got Facebook pages for this show and Revelator Paranormal. Like them today. Become a member on our website and gain exclusive access to our Facebook group. There, you can help us investigate the files, dive deeper, and build this community from the ground up. Huge thank you to all of our supporters. Head over to chaosandshadow.com forward slash subscribe and look for the links in the description to join our Facebook. The book actually talks about this in detail. First is the matter of the locks inside and outside when the witnesses bought it, a.k.a. the Shermans. Garth responds to that by saying, uh, this is simply not true. When he visited the ranch, it took one key to enter the home. And if that key didn't work, a sharp kick on the door would let him in. There was no <laughs> profusion of locks. Uh, okay, so if you're kicking down the front door and you can get in just by a slight kick, that's very, very different than a whole lock and key sort of secure home. Yeah, it definitely is because I'm sorry if you can just give the, you know, a nice little kick to the door and it opens for you. That's not a secure door to begin with. And secondly, you're not going to stop anything at that point. So all so- fiction? complete fiction i'm thinking yeah it's got to be complete fiction and it like i said before it paints this wonderful story of you know there's so much fear that's associated with this book that it puts out there that doesn't exist yeah let's tackle another huge one which is digging on the ranch Historically speaking, kind of putting the paranormal for aside here for a sec. Well, actually, no, let's include the paranormal back in. It sounds like it's perfectly fine to dig on the ranch based on Hunt for the Skinwalker because that book fabricates a story that, ooh, it's super scary to dig on the ranch. Ooh, well, not when you look into why that information was there. Simply an oil rights matter. The previous owners retained the oil rights to the property, and because of such, it was a common stipulation that when a ranch was sold, the contract would say something to the effect of the new owners must notify the previous owners if they decide to dig. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, wait, that's that's a huge aspect of the Skinwalker Ranch, the not digging. But if that's that built is a on huge a aspect. totally normal clause, then that would yes. mean that all the motivations are therefore fabricated after the fact. And it's interesting, though, because in the show, The Secret of the Skinwalker, mm-hmm. they actually talk about not digging on the property and how dangerous it is. And that there's been injury that's been associated with potential digging. So in that regard, I think that is what's happened is perhaps in the beginning, there was no danger associated with digging. But so many people feeding into that fear actually created an energy. It created a manifestation of something bad will happen. And it's kind of one of those things that if you believe something bad is going to happen for long enough and you put enough energy and enough time, enough effort into thinking that, yeah, you're going to manifest something. Something's going to happen. Something bad will happen. I agree. And I think that's definitely what's gone on now with the ranch in its current state and why it's not good to dig on the ranch. I think that it's actually created a manifestation that's happened. I'm so glad you call that out because on the Secret for the Skinwalker show or Secret of Skinwalker Ranch, I should say, they say explicitly that they say how uh, I believe it was Tom had uh, an issue with his scalp um, like a mm-hmm. beam of radiation basically looks like it, it, that's kind of what manifested in a way it, it caused severe damage his scalp starts to detach from his skull and that all happens while he's digging he's a person a self-proclaimed like disbeliever in the digging thing at first that that, that didn't yes. do it 
But to your point, I think through manifestation theory and also just the sheer fact that we know people can will themselves sick, uh, mm -hmm. that, that stuff could play a very large role in it. Even if you claim to not be a believer in your conscious brain, we still see a lot of people manifest those illnesses uh, without even buying into that thing to begin with. Like they, they can, you can will yourself to be sick. So yes, you can. In this case, I, I, yeah, it is a weird one. I sit here going, okay, in 2020, I don't know when that, you know, when they were filming the show, I, I think that there was probably something to digging at that point. But do I think that there was anything before the hunt for the Skinwalker book? I, I no. don't. I really don't. <laughs> it's a, uh, it's a shame because if there is any truth to it, again, the truth winds up being really, really perverted by the simple inaccuracies, right? Like if, if the doors don't have locks, is there anything bad to digging at all? Question right. mark. And if the doors don't have locks and there's nothing to really fear about this poltergeist type activity that quote unquote went on it, during the homesteads, at that point, are the homesteads actually haunted? Do they have haunting activity? That's a good question. I don't know. Or is it still that somebody mentioned that they're, you know, we're talking the Hunt for the Skinwalker book, um, put that out there. So many people have read it and they're believing that this book is pure fact, has created this energy that is happening on these homesteads. And ultimately, I would say that's probably more likely of a case than it actually having any haunting to begin with. I'm not saying that there's not Native American energies there. There definitely probably is. But is it enough to really create this kind of energy and that fear aspect that really happens during those, especially in the, the Homestead 2 house, I believe it is, where you're being told to get out, you have this terrifying feeling that's happening. And I don't think it is. I think that it's been manifested because of this book. I think you're very right on that. I think you're very right there. And moving along from the Myers period, because uh, I think the, the, the digging on the ground is, is a great segue. That's specifically when this whole story starts to change hands and, and moves over to the Shermans or a.k.a. the Gormans. We get a lot, of, a lot further of inconsistencies. The, the first story we talk about, uh, or at least the first one that gets talked about, is the mangled calf that happens when the big wolf approaches the pen almost the first day that the Shermans move in. We immediately start to see parts of the story fall apart, um, likely due to just inconsistencies. One thing being mm -hmm. that we're, we see it many times the Shermans did not move animals in at the first day. They actually were spending some time, quote, repairing fences. So then Hunt for Skinwalker talks about a wolf coming up and biting a calf that wasn't even supposed to be there. Strange. When Salisbury digs into it, this is a little bit of an annoying non-answer, but Sherman says that there is a shred of evidence to that story, that most of it is hearsay. I go back to that idea of, well, how much of this is real? How much of that event happened? I mean, if it's mostly hearsay, this wolf coming up, biting a calf head through the bars, then being shot multiple times and then running off into the, the woods and disappearing. If most of that is hearsay, according to the, oh, like the few people that were there to witness it, uh, 
I I don't know where to begin. This is where we see the unraveling of the arguable truths of Skinwalker Ranch, that the whole ranch in itself starts to spiral a bit because you're like, wait, the fundamental pillars that hold the roof up of what this theory is, what the, the what we've heard for years isn't necessarily true at all. It's true. And, you know, this is a really well circulated story that's happened. And it has been retold and told so many different times. However, there's a lot of sources that actually conflict on some of the facts, like Mm -hmm. what Sherman actually used to shoot this animal. Mm -hmm. Did he use one gun? Did his son run back to the house to get another gun to shoot it? Did he shoot it with another gun? Did the animal actually get shot? Did he miss his shots? It's there's a lot of those little tiny details, which, you know, when you look at it, you're like, this is, they're small, but they're not inconsistent. It's what kind of those little tiny screw holes or those screws that hold up those pillars of this story that make it factual, um, if it is factual. So we really don't even know when the cows were there, if the cows were there, what day this story actually took place. We don't know how many weapons were used, what weapons were used. Did the animal actually get shot? Did it disappear? Every aspect of the story kind of starts to fall apart because we don't know the facts. And when Sherman even tells uh, Salisbury that the story is mostly set in fiction, that, that really brings a lot of questions should also be a said lot. that 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 story again probably the most that's the one that the hunt for the skinwalker goes into first that story is not even included in the original deseret news article that breaks the story of the ranch which to me is really just questionable because again hunt for skinwalker hinges everything upon that story that's mm-hmm. like chapter one ish and then from there it goes downhill so i <laughs> all throughout this we're just getting at the fact that phd or not i uh i do think this was written i think hunt for the skinwalker was written to be a bestseller not as an educational tool as we can see as it was used as it got its way into the pop culture and that is really, really depressing. There's another one in here we can't figure out. And this one I will pretty leave open-ended. I mean, this is all open-ended. If you guys, if anyone out there is listening to this, even in the future, if you get more evidence on this, feel free to write in. Let us know if, you, if there's something we've uh, mistaken or, or conflated here. Yes. But as best we can track this all down, this is an interesting one. There is a Masonic logo on the ranch, a Freemason square and compass. No one says for sure who made this. It's tracked back to potential Buffalo soldiers that were stationed nearby at Fort Duchesne. They were in there with the 9th Cavalry, which was under Custer. Uh, One of his sub people was managing that fort for a bit. And these Buffalo soldiers are there occupying it. It's said that, well... It's implied that all of these Buffalo soldiers were Freemasons. We couldn't find a lot of evidence saying that many of them were. We found some stuff pointing at a couple, but not Mm -hmm. to say the whole group. And it gets a little trickier from there because Hunt for Skinwalker says these Buffalo soldiers were then buried in the Uinta Basin and that Native Americans built apartment complexes or the, sorry, the government built apartment complexes for the Native Americans on top of these graves. We can't find any of that to be true. And actually Mm -hmm. seeing how vacant the valley is there, the basin, it doesn't look like there's apartments there. Not that I can see. It is 
vacant. Like there is land, 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 land. Like there is a building and then land, not apartment style stuff. Now, when we did kind of some look into the reservation, the reservation is, I believe, 1.3 million acres. That's a lot of land. And if there were Buffalo soldiers that were, quote unquote, buried there and then had a building built on top of them by the government, why didn't they pick another spot? <laughs> I mean, there's 1.3 million acres of land. I'm sure that they could have probably picked another spot if this actually was true. Yeah, I was going to say, that's not my point of contention at all. My issue is, where is this apartment building then? Where's right. the news of it having been built? I mean, mm-hmm. y- y- where where is all of this stuff? Where 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 is any of this tracked back to? I mean, it's possible that buildings have been destroyed over the time, but also for anyone that's been out to Utah, I mean, this is, there's there's wide open land everywhere, so you don't tend to just demolish and start again usually. I mean, someone can use... You sell off a piece of property and someone will use that house or that foundation. Yes. I I just don't see any truth to this story. And if it's out there, again, we encourage people, send it in. So much so to the tune that the Buffalo soldiers stationed there were not actually killed there. They were moved right. on. They moved. Uh, they were in March of 1901. The 192 Buffalo soldiers and their two black officers then assigned to Fort Duchesne were sent via San Francisco to the Philippines to take part in the Spanish-American War. The eight remaining. Ooh, I don't like how this word the book refers to them. The eight remaining, quote, blacks and quote, left the post in July of that year, ending the Buffalo soldier era. I should say that's from uh, an article that is not from Hunt for the Skinwalker or this other uh, Utah UFO display. That one comes to us from oh that was actually some of our research online yesterday we were we were mm-hmm. pulling at all kinds of strings that was a great article I, I say great it was kind of racist in tone but it's it, it's the only thing that provided actual historical backing to it uh racist in tone but we found some articles that we'll include in show notes here that give some sort of context at least reference buffalo soldiers being in the area which is more than most Yes, it's very true. And, you know, as to the symbol that was, quote unquote, carved onto the ranch, they stated that the Buffalo soldiers were the ones who actually carved it out of out of protection from the Ute tribe cursing them. Now, there's no evidence to back this up. There's no evidence that the Buffalo soldiers actually carved this. Uh, For all we know, it could have been some of the other soldiers that had carved this. We don't know where these symbols actually came from. Who put them there? There is no evidence to actually support this anymore. Seems to be that a lot of the people talking about it uh, in some kind of academic sense that have tried to trace it back seem to think that it may just have been farmers marking their own hillside with stuff apparently on the approach to that area there are quite a few signs up on hills actually right if i were able to look through a building that's right in front of me i could see a big u up on um the hill here in in salt lake city for the university of utah so that idea of Mm -hmm. us putting big old letters and stuff on hillsides so they can be seen from afar that to me is not something I've experienced before coming to U- Utah myself. But uh, if it's if it is that common, I mean, again, I can see one out my window. Basically, if we take that Freemason one into account and the fact that apparently there's some others that also mark 
local hillsides. People's speculation is it's just a way to tell people where they are. You know, once you see that logo, then you're going to turn this way. Because we are it's talking in the middle of nowhere. Yes. Before literally GPS in the middle too. of nowhere. <laughs> before any kind of GPS. So you don't want, and, and people die in the wilderness of Utah all the time, even in the modern age with their cell phones. So when you're talking back then, that would be a way to market, to get people through so they're not lost out there in the dangerous deserty slash no man's land. Ah, being a Freemason, that logo was never told to me as being any kind of protective symbol either. Uh, for those that are dabbling right. into Freemasonry, the compass in the square is about weighing your life based on time and morals and all that sort of stuff. Like it's a it's a it's more of a values statement um, that your life should be something worth living, et cetera, et cetera. In that way, poor, poor interpretation, but um, still not protective. It's not it's not like at least the way I always interpret it. Maybe and who knows? Things could have changed. It could have been very specific for the the type of masonry that was going on at the time but again i've never heard it passed along as like oh this will protect you like a cross does or something right and there were other reports that again cannot be officially substantiated that a lot of these buffalo soldiers did practice voodoo so again the mason symbol would have not done any good if they were actually voodoo practitioners Ultimately, we don't know what the religious or spiritual outlook of these soldiers were. We have no idea what they practiced, where they really kind of came from, or what their thinking was when they encountered these youths. Maybe they were afraid of them. Maybe they wanted to be friends with them. Who knew? But ultimately, the part that is in the book that actually talks about these apartment buildings and these graves, it's not substantiated and we cannot find any fact to actually back it up. We have no idea where they even got that information. Tis true. This is all in all. I think we can begin to wrap up our wrap up on Skinwalker Ranch by saying I am in love with the property. I have myself a natural draw to it for a, a long time now. And I'm so glad this podcast gave us an opportunity to look into it because at face value, most of the, the Skinwalker story, the lore, is completely unsubstantiated to the point of being highly fictitious. That is to say, <laughs> I do believe that there is activity on that ranch. My reasoning that Tom, Sh well, Sherman here, Terry Sherman, says many times in the Utah UFO display a lot of activity did happen. The death of the dogs by the orb did happen, quote unquote, yeah, apparently. Many, many cases actually happened. But what degree did they make it out there? If the, if the only person experiencing these things in many cases, because uh, let's throw way back. The Shermans did not want people messing in their stuff. They left a small town to move to an even smaller area because they thought their small town was too nosy. So they move out in the mm -hmm. middle of nowhere. So real emphasis on there are not neighbors just rolling up to this ranch. No one is just coming on to like, ha, 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 I'm here. I'm just going to throw a tea party. No, they didn't want people involved. They were loners. So how do we take a story about four people living on a ranch, not interview them, and then make a book that is told from their perspective? when they yes. already were isolationists. <laughs> that is very, very true. And That's my it really does call in a lot of questions, again, as to why an academic person would do this. But ultimately, I would say probably the reason is money. They wanted a bestseller. They wanted to get their name out there. They wanted the 15 minutes of fame to go with it. 
but to the credibility of this ranch and trying to actually find out the paranormal truth behind it, they did a great disservice to it. I think so. And ultimately, the best thing that we can actually hope for, for substantiated and as close to honest evidence that we can get is right now the television show. And that is the secret of Skinwalker. And our secret of Skinwalker Ranch, I should say, um, that is on History Channel. Mm -hmm. It is the closest thing that we can get to factual scientific evidence that is coming out of it that is public. That is a very good point. And as we always say, TV shows included should be taken with a very substantial handful of salt. So, again, I'm with you. I like the show. I think it's the best thing we've got going right now. I think Mm -hmm. I will say to the, the people involved with the show... Uh, and, and keep in mind, everyone out there listening, I, I really enjoy that show. It might be my, uh, yes. it's probably my top three actual <laughs> paranormal shows that I enjoy. But I do find it problematic that they reference the hunt for the Skinwalker quite so much. They may have other avenues of connectivity that I do not. This Again, this whole story is laced with people not talking to each other, a lack of information changing hands, a lack of public information. It's all that kind mm-hmm. of disclosure sort of issue happening in a microcosm on this ranch. Uh, not to mention, again, it's a reservation land. Uh, the reservation does not want necessary outsiders coming in and traipsing through their stuff, just, you know, ruining everything. So again, mm-hmm. compound, compound, compound secrecy or evasion. And that makes a very strange story where... If you, bless you listeners that have made it this far, I've got to say, if you followed this far and you don't absolutely hate everything we're saying, you are probably one of the most advanced Skinwalker researchers out there then. Because you figure if you've started to dismiss the Hunt for the Skinwalker book, that gives you a strong leg up over everyone that is drinking it like Kool-Aid. It's not to make anyone feel bad. It's not to dismiss anyone out there in the field. It's just to say research needs to be done. It needs to be done seriously. It needs to be done. And in this case should have been, I I would argue, I guess I would say the Utah UFO display in its second copy and second iteration that came out in 2010 that I'm holding in my hand. This serves as the closest of a peer review that book got. Mm -hmm. So go forth those out there listening with a critical eye because Pagan and I firmly believe the paranormal exists that There is some phenomena out there that you can interact with fairly easily, but you don't need to fake a story to do it. And that's very important. It's almost better to ultimately not get any evidence and to say there might be something here that just doesn't want to talk to me Mm -hmm. than for you to fake it. And I would say for anybody in the paranormal field, it's okay to not get evidence it's okay to say I felt something, but I couldn't get it on a recorder. I couldn't get it on anything that could be scientifically proven. That's still okay because guess what? You as a human being, you are still just as much a part of that experiment as your scientific devices are. That's a very good point. That's a very good point. I, I, and if I can add to that slightly, because I, I, I actually truly love that sentiment. I think a, a, another thing deserves to be said, which is people then, if you if you don't catch it on film... Or whatever, it is totally okay, like Pagan just said, to say that you have that experience. I would urge, though, do not then claim to be the definitive person on the case. Meaning, like, we do see that backfire on folks because they take an egotistical route to it, if if, if you follow. Mm-hmm. Like, we always talk about Hellier. We love that they go and they investigate and they can say we found nothing at times. And I'm okay with that because I genuinely believe that. 
they don't walk away then saying, we found nothing. But also, we're the only experts on this case, so only listen to us. We can't prove it, but we're in charge. Whoa, hold up there, buddy. You know, if you can't prove it, you also can't say you're in charge. Like that, uh -uh. there has to be a, a level of humility there to say, we're still working on it. We're trying. Hellier does that. Mm-hmm. I wish Keller would have done that. But again, yes. I'm not the PhD holder here in microbiology. So I, I don't know what I, I, I really do believe Keller. the same thing. Yeah, I believe exactly the same thing. I really believe that Kel- I wish that Keller would have been like, you know what? We caught some cool stuff, but I can't tell you everything that we caught. And we didn't talk to the witnesses. We didn't do any. <laughs> They didn't do all the scientific stuff, but ultimately, if they would have just, you know, submitted, you know, a short peer review paper that stated, here's what we did find. And it wasn't much, but we think something is there and we're not going to stop looking. That would have held so much more weight and so much more water than that entire book did. Honesty in the paranormal space will win you more friends than lying. That is a big thing that I've learned recently as we do our wonderful interview series. If you guys haven't checked them out already, there's so many fantastic interviews up on the the Chaos and Shadow feed with strong uh, figures and influencers in the paranormal community. And when I say influencers there, I mean people that know their stuff and are not afraid to say when they are either out of their league or this isn't their expertise or that they didn't capture anything. That's why they Mm -hmm. influence me because they aren't lying to me saying oh look at all this stuff i caught can you reproduce any of it oh don't ask me questions about my research like you can't come on the ranch (laughs) okay again this is all like (laughs) like little kids kindergarten stuff like we no no you don't get to like say that you have a gold coin but you're not going to show anyone i I have to disbelieve you like it's just this whole idea of teasing information for the sake of making a name for yourself so huge thank you to frank b salisbury phd who wrote the utah ufo display sadly he passed away a few years ago so we will not get the opportunity to speak with him or thank him for this work but um i would highly recommend the utah ufo display as your source on this stuff just because it is real interviews with the people that lived on the ranch and people that were neighbors to the ranch The Hunt for the Skinwalker book, I would not recommend anyone picking up unless you're looking for a page turner or to collect your full library of sources for Skinwalker Ranch. That one obviously coming with a huge asterisk of like there. I guess I guess I can walk away saying the Hunt for the Skinwalker is good to have so you know where you can start picking stories apart. It's good so you can say, okay, that's unfactual. But why did that come about? This is untrue, but where did they even start on that nugget of information? So backtrack Mm -hmm. with it, but don't believe it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you got to investigate with us or you were researching alongside of us, we thank you for joining us. We hope that you're going to join us on future investigations. We're going to do more in-depth stuff like this. And the case for Skinwalker, uh, from our perspective, is not closed. No. It probably will never be closed. Uh, We're hoping to revisit it in the future. But as of right now, I think we're going to put it on the shelf. Let's put a pin in it, Pagan. Again, thank you everyone out there for listening to Hunt for our uh, investigation into the Skinwalker. I I could struggle for words of what to call it. It's been such a a massive, wonderful investigation. Five parts here. 
Uh, we will be doing more of these long investigations. But like I said off the top, our next one is going to be into infrasound. We're going to take it light for a couple weeks. We are going to do things that are related to the ranch in some way, shape, or form. Uh, after that, we're planning an episode on UFOs that actually attacked people. And that is related again because there's, well, I, go listen to our UFO episode where we talked about some of the dangers <laughs> to the ranch. Uh, Utah UFO display is also awesome for digging into those mutilations we mentioned, but didn't go into detail on if you want to see that for the cattle stuff. Not see, there's no images, but uh, read about. Thank goodness there's not. I don't want to see that myself. Uh, but this is to say, yeah, we got to dig deeper. And I thank you, Pagan, for for joining me on this investigation. We've had a lot of fun doing it for our listeners yes, out we there. Have. Absolutely loved it. We want to do some more um, live kind of chats now the holiday season are over. So join up with a Facebook group that is now open to everybody. So you just type. Uh, actually, that's that's going to be in your, your links here. I think it's showing up as Revelator members. We're probably going to rebrand that group now that we've opened it up to the public. But uh, if you'd like to support the show and keep these investigations going, it would mean the world to us if you headed over to the website. Over there, we have the membership section. So chaosandshadow.com forward slash subscribe for as little as $5 a month. You can get involved getting some of our cool sigils that we're making. Uh, we got coupons for our cult shop and some secret little things going on there that only members of higher tiers get access to, like our founders roles and such. Yes. Our cult shop is also bustling. We've been getting some great photos of the incense and stuff. Pagan sent me such an amazing uh, sampler package this this Christmas season. I got that right before the holiday and uh, popped that baby open. I got to burn some of my Yule incense and I got to make some spell candles out of it. So check out all of that wonderful stuff on the site. And Pagan, you've been absolutely killing it with the blog. So I must point people over there. Chaosandshadow.com forward slash news. What's your, mm -hmm. uh, what have you been up to over there, Pagan, if you want to shout? Um, well, today we have a brand new Occult Sunday out that talks about New Year opportunities, essentially New Year's resolutions. But I don't like to call them resolutions because let's face it we as humans just don't do well with resolutions. Mm -hmm. We are not good at it. So that's why I personally like to call them opportunities. You can go over to the blog and read all about that. And it gives you some great stuff that's, you know, maybe some good starting points and some great kind of guidelines for where to take your opportunities and what to do with them. And we've also got some great reviews coming out. We had a review that actually came out uh, last week, I believe, um, mm -hmm. for the House Keparu event that we attended on December 19th. Be sure to check that out. That's with our wonderful friend, Michelle Bellinger. And we've got a Kindred Spirits review and a Dead Files premiere um, review also coming out later this week. So stay tuned for those. Indeed. Get it, people. Go up there. Grab them. Share the show. Let your friends know what we're doing here. Those shares mean the world to us, whether it's on social media or word of mouth. Send in the link. If you just smack that share button, I'm sure you can send it via text or Twitter message right over to your friend right now. That keeps us going. We're going to be diving a little bit more into advertising this year, getting some stuff going like that. So every listener counts. That's going to increase our ability for investigation. Pardon me, investigative work. We'll get access to really cool things like Ancestry.com and more so we can start tracking down people's birth and death days, all that sort of stuff. Get those okay. certificates so we have real information so that we know that if that guy disappears out of the back of a uh, moving bus... 
he was really a human to begin with. <laughs> he was there. <laughs> done, done, done. So everyone out there, thank you so much. It means the world to us. We will keep on uh, chatting and look forward to us at the uh, the end of this week. We are going to republish a Katie Webb interview that went up onto a secondary feed from back in October. So if you didn't get to listen to it, if you didn't see it, you know, hasn't been on this Chaos and Shadow one, um, preemptively, go listen to part one. And then uh, her follow-up one will be out this Friday on January 8th. Everyone out there, stay safe, and we will talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.